Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is Episode 8, Face-to-Face, Past, Present, and Future, Act 2, recorded April 26, 2018, at the new 42nd Street Studios. Screaming about a revocability Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches And fight our own way free Cause the rules don't lie but they don't apply to people like you and me Let's start it up now 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out and the pushcart man with a three-part plan Can't understand what you're shouting about But when the past they plow The lives allowed are the only roads you can see Just remember the walls were built to fall For people like you and me Let's start it up now Let's start it up now Let's start it up now Let's start it up now, it up now. This episode focuses on the present and the future. Emerging artists and mentorship. I talk a lot about mentors. I ask people if they've been mentors, who their mentors were, what that relationship looks like. I've had many relations, uh, I've had many mentors, um, most of whom uh, have become very good friends uh, while they were are still colleagues, but some are official and others are unofficial. And I think it's extremely important to have people who are more advanced in, in their careers uh, be able to help you ask the big questions, point you in some directions, make connections, uh, make you read things, um, just just help you uh, in a way that maybe you know parents or other people are not necessarily uh, the right people for, for in terms of career or within a university setting, etc. And so I think of myself uh, as a mentor in many ways. Um, as an adjunct pro- professor, I, uh, I'm helping my graduate students uh, expand and explore beyond what the scope of whatever it is that they're, they were originally thinking or they're asking big questions and I'm encouraging that. Um, and I really love that. I also love working with teaching artists, whether they're emerging mid-career or beyond. Um, I want everybody to feel, and mainly because I'm probably in that space, that I want to keep dreaming and thinking about new and exciting innovations within our field. Um, So it's also really exciting to talk to people who are just starting out in their careers. And this conversation was um, with four people, myself, Christopher Totten, who is the Education Programs Manager uh, for the New Victory Theater. He's also the Creative Content Manager for Teaching Artists Podcast. We talked with Brandon Hutchinson and Albernick Lindsay, who are New 42 Street, uh, or sorry, New 42nd Street, I say New 42, New 42nd Street Fellows, which is a year-long program uh, where recent 
college grads or college seniors are who have gone through our Usher or New Victory Usher program uh, are given an opportunity to have real-world arts administrative uh, arts administration experience um, because they've actually identified that they're interested in having a career in the arts and um, these are two extremely um, thoughtful and um, caring young people who grew up in New York City uh, in immigrant families are both people of color and they have been a joy to work with over this past year and their uh, part of their fellowship it was to go to be sent to uh, multiple conferences to sort of give them as much uh, networking uh, workshops you know lectures presentations keynotes uh, just a lot of uh, uh, deep diving into um, this field um, based on their specific interests so they both attended the face-to-face -face conference and it was their first time and in this conversation we recapped the conference our uh, individual experiences within the conference and thoughts about arts education in various communities um, I was also eating lunch so there's that it was a lunch meeting um, but yes, I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Um, so take a listen to episode eight, act two, face-to-face, -face, past, present, and future. Live, love, create, so let's just um, take note of who is around the table. Um, so it's Courtney. Uh, this is Christopher. I'm Brandon. And I'm Alvernique. Excellent. And um, we're just talking about the face-to-face -face conference now that we're, what, two, two weeks out? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And we've had time to reflect. Some people have written down notes, which is great. <laughs> um, our department also had a debrief conversation last week to talk about our own experiences. So what's cool is at this table, we've had a wide range of experience. So I've been going to this conference since 2001. And how long have you been going, Christopher? Um, I have been going since 2014. Okay, so like four years four now. Four years. Mm -hmm. And and Brandon and Albernique, this was your first face-to-face -face conference. Yes, it was. And uh, Brandon, can you just talk about what um, what were some highlights for the of the event for you? Um, highlights for me were I went to a session where. It was led by a African arts organization called Ifetuyo, I believe. Ifetayo, I think. Ifetayo, thank mm -hmm. you. And just watching how they connected history to uh, literature, to dance, to um, the arts, just watching how they spread this one thing across all the curriculums and made it accessible to everybody and understood by um, everybody in the room was like really important and really insightful to me, especially mm -hmm. in terms of um, history and um, the arts and culture things. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? And I, I attended the same one, mm -hmm. and that also stood out to me, just the way that they facilitated like community building activities, and it was like some of the things were really subtle, like the way they opened up the um, the session was with this whole like meditative like mantra that everyone does that mm -hmm. like centers you and is about like loving yourself Acceptance. and taking care of yourself. 
Yeah, and it was it was so beautiful, especially because I, I've never been in that type of like atmosphere. Space, yeah. yeah, and it just you immediately I immediately felt close to everyone in the room and like comfortable. Yeah, and like I'm ready to to participate in whatever's next. That's so great. that was really that was really nice. Yeah. So was it on your feet like exploration or a little more intellectual? A little yeah. bit of both. Yeah. yeah. A lot of it. It started out with um, with some history about uh, the the Venus hot and tot and taking us mm-hmm. back to representations of of black women in the media throughout different times in history. And then they also had some like books around the room that that were all about either like like black artists or, or like black some teachers. part of the culture. Yeah. 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 And then we got to, um, we got to like video. get up on our feet. Yeah, got branded <laughs> on video. There's a little dance section. Uh-huh. Um, and that's when it got like really interactive. Um, and they taught us about uh, like eight counts and uh, math and just basic steps and tying all of that in together. So that really got us up on our feet. And then there was this big centerpiece in the middle of the room. And they discussed how in general, we're really conditioned to just come in and sit down and not really touch anything. Uh, and so they intentionally left this big centerpiece and all the books that we got to see around the room to see whether or not we would like interact with it. Uh-huh. Because the whole point of the session was interaction and community-based and really growing with each other. So when they allowed us to get up and really step forward and closer and see what the centerpiece was, mm-hmm. it was really intricate. There's a lot of smaller details that you didn't really get to see if you were sitting far away. Shells, Shells and just like lace and beadings yeah. and the cloths were really um, intricately patterned. It was just an experience yeah. in that session and it was only like, what, an hour and a half? Yeah, yeah. yeah hour and a half. Wow, you got, it's, it's, it's fun to watch you guys talking about it because your eyes are lighting up as you're that talking. Was, that's great. <laughs> we did a great job, yeah. yeah. Um, so were there any other um, sessions that you attended that you felt like, oh, I'm, I'm still chewing on it, I'm still, like, I'm really jazzed about it, or? Yeah, um, so there was a session by Kiria Traver, mm-hmm. who, my first interaction with her was actually through the Vic, mm-hmm. because she worked with Ping Chong while she was here, mm-hmm. um, and her session was about uh, community arts and how you how you as a facilitator work with um, young people who may have encountered trauma in their lives and how you talk to them and really relate to them. And I love the way that her sessions start because they start with, like one, you saying your name and and your gender pronouns, Mm -hmm. which even for me is a a completely new thing Mm -hmm. because that was not a question anyone was asking like a year ago. Um, And that one was, really interesting because everyone in the room works with different communities. Like mm. some people specifically work with young people who are in um, like shelters, some people work with young people who are incarcerated, and some people work with uh, young people in schools. Right. And it was just interesting seeing how you can be trying to facilitate some type of project and not know what triggers are for certain people and how do you handle that when those triggers come up like she gave an example about a young woman who she she called a bully because she was like 
the, the, the young lady was being very, uh, I guess, aggressive with the other students in the class. Mm -hmm. And apparently that was a trigger word for that young oh. woman because someone in her past, um, that's how she refers to them, someone who she had a very negative encounter with. <laughs> and so it was just like, you, you just don't know what buttons you're gonna push and how do you, how do you figure that out as you go along as a TA. Did she it's give tricky. any pointers? She, just, she said she just straight up apologized. Okay. It was like acknowledge, don't like apologize and immediately expect them to accept your apology. Mm -hmm. Let them deal with it the way they need to, mm -hmm. but kind of acknowledge it. And so that was a learning and, moment for yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. She was explaining. Oh, I yeah, see. which I think about all the time because I haven't been in a class and it's like, what? I, what's going to come out of my mouth? And it may come with good intentions, but. The good good intentions don't always mean up. Right. What? So, going into this these two days, um, Brandon, you you have have discovered this thing called being a teaching artist, and are now starting to work as one. And Albernique, when you know when did you learn about what a teaching artist was? What um, I guess my, my real question is like, what lens were you putting on, uh, and in terms of how you chose which sessions and how you were participating in the two days? So you're you just sort of are curious. It seems yeah. you tell me if I'm yeah. wrong that you're curious. curious about what a teaching artist does and, yeah. and um, making some career choices for yourself. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I was looking at it from a lens of what would be the most practical for me to understand what I could do to be successful in this field mm -hmm. and like what what should my intentions be going into this field and I'm coming at it from I love theater and like say New Victory was my introduction to theater and it's incredibly important to me and I was looking at it from a lens of how do I take a show and take young people who may not have an interest in certain art fields and like teach it or create in a way that it's accessible to to a wide range of students mm -hmm. um, and that was probably something that was interesting that I don't think there were a lot of uh, sessions that were coming from the point of view of a the classroom of a, setting yeah of a yeah. classroom setting and teaching about a specific show mm -hmm. which is what yeah. is unique to us I mean, part of that is actually true. Like the new victory yeah. is, I think, has sort of cornered that market, and so people do pre and post work um, often. But I think the way that we approach it is is quite unique, yeah. which we'll be celebrating. Um, but that's interesting that you you had a, a particular focus of like I want to understand how to work in schools, yeah. and yet this particular, I would say overall, the the sessions weren't necessarily lending themselves to the school setting yeah. though some of the tools that you could be picking up could be applied yeah how about you brandon what were you what was your lens um so my lens uh since i'm an emerging ta <laughs> i'm saying that um is was trying to figure out how to bridge what i find myself doing as a ta with the community because i'm just working with students and being in various settings, I enjoy working with various communities. So learning about how I can bridge gaps between um, places that might not necessarily receive arts education mm -hmm. with 
you know, arts education. So the first um, session that I went to were three different organizations that worked in three different ways across the like, communities. So one of the most like intriguing ways to me was something called the Laundromat Project, Laundromat. where um, artists and teaching artists go into laundromats across um, neighborhoods in Southern Brooklyn and I believe also in Harlem, mm -hmm. and they just integrate, cult, uh, integrate culture and the arts into that neighborhood by allowing the teaching artists that work there to interact with the community, to interact with the people that come, you know, and just wash their clothes in like a really basic sense, <laughs> yeah. to create art and then decorate, you know, your art space with things that you've created. So it builds, you know, this basic place like a laundromat into like a cultural center. Yeah, and it cool. really creates more cultural centers in places where you might not necessarily get it. And so it kind of takes that barrier away from saying, oh, you have to, you know, necessarily be in like a big city or in some place that has like a thriving arts culture to receive mm. arts. It's mm. just, it's really basic. It's really like humanizing and it just it brings us together, so. Is there a particular, what are the communities that you're interested in working in and with or populations? Um, for me, it's uh, two in particular populations uh, that have disabilities or that are disabled and don't or like receive those kinds of arts education on a regular basis mm -hmm. and the other are um, young black men mm -hmm. so just allowing those two communities to experience arts at an earlier and much more um, impactful kind of basis so more consistency, consistency yeah, yeah. Um, and so are there particular settings for either uh, people with disabilities or young uh, men or young men? Um, yeah, I've been thinking about it since the conference, since the, actually. Um, and I've been thinking about barbershops and the ways that... You know, it's so funny. I was thinking that when you were talking about the laundromat project, I was like, oh, barbershops would be a great place. I walked home and I was walking up and down my neighborhood and I was like, so what is a place that I could like, if I wanted to do something like this, where would it be? Mm. And it would be like in barbershops or in hair salons and just, because a lot of conversation happens in yeah. those places already. So just allowing them to, you know, kind of structure those conversations so that way you're not just keeping it inside of the shop. You're allowing other people to see what's, what's going on, that your voice right. is like heavy, that you have something to say and that you want to yeah. see it. I like how you said your voice is heavy. That you mean your voice has meaning. Yes. You, you have a, yes, the ability has to power share your voice. Has power. Yeah. That's wonderful. How about you? I would say it's a, a little similar. Definitely young young men and women of color because it's it's something that I've just noticed in my personal life about about like gender and how it 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 forces young people to, to feel from their young that they have to fit within certain constraints. Mm -hmm. And I see the power of theater to change that, especially because I've been watching a lot of shows that are, that are based about like challenging what, what is masculinity and what, like, like all these things that we say, what do they really mean and like where do they really fit? And it, it's very easy to debunk them if I think young people see that, oh, there's someone on stage who looks like me, and this is a man, and here are two men, like, showing affection to one another, and there's this, there's this, like, removal of, of the hardness or, or whatever, like, society thinks that, that 
that's that like a, a man should be or, or a woman should be. I think that and those are called um, heteronormative yes, structures, yes, constructs. Yes, yes. Um, which I, I'm yeah. you know, putting that in my mouth is a yeah. hard. hard. Yeah. Um, but I understand what you're saying. There's yeah. there's a couple different layers of what you're. I feel yeah. like you're talking about here. There's the who you know self identity. Just right. trying to understand who the heck I am. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And then all these layers of what society is telling me I should right. be. What's being told to me at home. What's right. being told to me at school. What's right. being told to me on the street. Right. In my neighborhood. Right. And you know. And where do I feel safe to be just myself versus right. what do I have to sort of project? Yeah. Um, I also like to call it the the teen armor. Or the armor in general, and it's a it's a protective yeah. stance, right? Like if I act like I don't care, then nothing can hurt me. I can't get hurt, right? Right? It's all it's so it's all of those things yeah. wrapped into one little you know person, yeah. and and what gets lost is like if you're able to, you know, see how other people's lives are, or like you said, see somebody who's rep- who looks like me right. but is representing something different than maybe is already in my life. That right. that creates questions right. and inquiry and thoughts and curiosity right, right. and that might shift right. a, a, a mindset over time yeah. you know, I don't think it happens immediately yeah. but there is something that could happen yeah um, how dy- showing how dynamic yeah. people are kind yeah. of in, in general is I think it is important to see on stage and even I've only started seeing a lot of that recently so I can only yeah. imagine, imagine if I was like <laughs> like 12 because where, where am I? Where am I getting my ideas about like identity? A lot of it is from probably from TV mm-hmm. and probably from ads. Yeah. And there's so much room for theater to kind of get in there and and make a difference. Change narratives. Yeah. yeah. So it also sounds like you might be interested in making theater for oh. young people. Yes. As you're talking, as I'm yeah. putting words in your mouth. Which <laughs> it's funny you say that. <laughs> it's mm. funny you say that because I've. I've actually really, I'm really interested in devising. So I'm, I have an acting background, and now I'm, I'm getting more into the devising world. And for the first time, this is, this is new news. Um, like next week, I'm going to PPAS, the Perform- Professional Performing Arts School, uh-huh. to work with uh, these ninth graders that are part of a playwriting lab. And so they wrote plays, and uh-huh. I'm gonna do a cold read with them, what? and then sort of help them with the devising it and putting it on its feet. So I'm like, it's Look like my you. two loves, yeah. You're being so a TA. Like, <laughs> this, this is it. That like, is it. So, Emerge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how did, how did you come about this this gig? So I've been I've been trying to do a lot more performing, which which has been hard because yeah, I've been spending a lot of time. Job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Welcome to our world. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I literally I was like, if I'm gonna make this happen, I I just need to look for things that interest me. And I did some research and found um, this theater ensemble, Hook and I, and I went to there. They have something called a play lab where you bring an ancestral item, and based on that, you and a smaller group of people devise a piece of theater. Um, And it turns out, a a teacher that I had when I was like 10, (laughs) or something like that, is part of this ensemble. And so I kind of got to know them and talk to them, and and they thought I did a a, a good job, I guess, during that that play lab. And I told them I had an interest in being a TA, I was looking into it, and so they invited me. They're like, "Here's a here's a step closer to 
to figuring out what you want Wow. And do you know that WT teaches there? At PPAS? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. So WT teaches there through Groundswell. Um, But he's teaching there, like, pretty regularly. Um, So you should reach out to him and let him know, because he might even know those kids. Yeah. um, Or at least give you some some pointers before you go in. Thank you. The TA world is so small. It sure is. Sure, sure. Tiny, teeny. Especially in New York City. And one of the things I'm realizing is, one, I didn't really introduce, like, who who you are in terms of, like, in relation to me. Um, But I want to take, like, two steps before before that. Um, Did you both grow up in New York City? Yeah. Mostly. Mostly? Um, I don't know if this counts. Yeah, sure. Uh, until I was five, I grew up in Jamaica, which get, which, okay. which was was nice having that little bit of childhood, so so open and free, yeah. Um, and then up until then, yeah, pretty much raised in Brooklyn. I've, I've never lived anywhere else. So you went to Jamaica. schools in Brooklyn, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then now you're in where? Where are you, Brandon? In, in Brooklyn. No, in terms of education, I'm in college. I am. Almost done with my bachelor's, and I'm excited. I will be um, an educator, technically. I'll be able to teach for New York City public schools, but I want to, you know, kind of advert a little bit and go directly into teaching artistry once I finish. So, and what's your major? Education and English. And you just graduated, yes. right? I graduated in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, I studied media and creative writing. So, where'd you go to school? At Hunter. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so that was very interesting because at that point I knew I wanted to work in theater mm-hmm. and I was afraid to major in it because I was thinking a lot about well, what am I going to do next? Where am I going to work? Mm-hmm. And so, and media ended up being a very random hodgepodge of a lot of things I liked. Mm-hmm. There was some PR in there, mm-hmm. there was like some, some arts because there was film analysis. But I did find it hard after I graduated. Like now, I know a lot about, like a little about many different things. Right. How do I focus it? And well, the, I mean, one of the th- good things actually about having a hodgepodge is that's exactly what teaching artists are. You know, they have their jack of all trades, though they might specialize in one particular area. So the fact that you have all these different kinds of experiences, like you've got playwriting, yeah. <laughs> and you, you've got acting, and you've got other kinds of potential, and this newfound you know, love of devising. So all of that is strong, actually, for an artist to be able to say, oh, I can do all of these different kinds of things. That means I can work with young people or in any sort of um, setting to be able to impl- imp- implement an art form-based learning um, structure. Thank that's you. actually good. Thank you for that reassurance. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's also how you package it and how you yeah. talk about it, but that I, it, I think one of the things that's been interesting, like, looking at you guys, I just sort of see a little bit of, like, Courtney and you, just, like, the 18-year-old Courtney who went to a SUNY college and um, a, a state college and started as a communication major but knew she wanted to be in theater and then changed her major to theater and sort of left the media journalist thoughts uh, uh, to the side, but now look what, what, look, what am I doing? <laughs> so, <laughs> so it all comes around, and, you know, that's kind of like, fine. And I also had the same thing where I went to, when I did go to school, I learned all different aspects of theater, including 
theater management. And so I had no intention or no thoughts that I would ever end up where I am at that time. So you just don't know. Life is crazy. Life is crazy. (laughs) And it's, and it's, it's more about being open to new experiences and thinking and frankly, following your heart. Right. And I really enjoyed working with kids all my life. I really love theater. Oh, those things can go together. How and what? And, you know, I thought I'd be a, a, teacher which I didn't want to necessarily do but I had respect for so once I learned what a teaching artist was and oh there's a like theaters that have education departments that's smart <laughs> I can do that I should do that <laughs> it's that kind of thing so Christopher you've been quite uh, sorry I've been so that's focused okay. on, on the emerging folk yes you are so um, would you say you're like mid-career or where would you put place yourself on the spectrum of of arts education and teaching well, I think I've landed in a good spot that gives me, um, you know, my, my administrative hat mm. is worn quite off, you know, a lot more than my teaching artist hat. Yeah. But I'm I'm given the opportunity quite a bit to be creative, both in the in the administrative chair, and I can also go out into the field and teach as a teaching artist because I've done that before, yeah. before I was. So I guess my my point is, um, I. I'm living the best of both worlds at this nice. moment, and that's straddling the line. I'm straddling the line. We're standing on it and, just, and like making it gray. Yeah, I but like that. You like that, right? Yes, that's good. So, so Christopher, what you know? What was your experience like at the conference, or what lens were you looking through as you were choosing and, and experiencing? Well, it's uh, I have a lot of words. Um, to say, but I my my focus this year um, and moving forward has been all about accessibility and inclusion, mm-hmm. um, and what those words mean and what that looks like um, in the workplace, what that looks like um, in uh, in a theater, what that looks like in a classroom. Um, but I, I've also been <laughs> really dissecting the word diversity, mm-hmm. um, and so um, so many of the sessions at this year's uh, face-to-face conference were all about inclusion and accessibility um, um, and and diversity, and I really I was really really interested to dive in. Um, but there were there were two standouts, um, and one that I went to was uh, was instructed by led by uh, Wayma Harris from Brooklyn Arts Council, and I found her um, and her colleagues to be so. Um, inspiring. Were, were the two of you in that in that one? It was called um, "Expand Techniques for Teaching Artists: Designing Culturally Responsive uh, Pedagogy Across Arts Disciplines," oh. which um, sounds very heady. And to be quite honest, the reason why I loved this workshop so much um, is because we started out literally sitting in um, in desks at in school desks and uh, reading from a chapter from a book, and I forget the title of that book, I'm a horrible person. Um, But that book was all about, well, let's not talk about the book, but the conversation um, that was had was all about um, realizing realizing sort of uh, your place in the room, your space in the room, and knowing what kind of, words you're using, <laughs> as I struggle to use my own, um, and knowing uh, what well, my takeaway through my lens 
Um, I'm a 37-year-old gay white male, and I know that from from the conversation that we had, which was all about, um, <laughs> so in the, in the title, the title is culturally responsive. What I heard when we were having the conversations through my lens was being responsible and being respectful of the people around me. And so at one point, all I kept writing in my notebook like a thousand times was make space. Make space for that person to talk. Don't talk. Don't raise your hand right now. Keep making space. Because I'm not the one that needed to be talking in that moment, and I'm not the one that needed to have my voice heard. Um, because my voice is heard quite a bit um, in our society. And so, um, so we had this really long, intellectual, but really, really fascinating conversation about what that looks like in the classroom. Um, and then we were able to get up um, on our feet and using three different art forms, we use dance, uh, visual art, some th that those folks built an, an amazing sculpture, and then using theater, um, we sort of used uh, an overarching theme or thought. Mm -hmm. I'm rambling, aren't I? No, no, they're so engaged. Yeah. Oh, good. Using an overarching theme, which they actually called something. It was called something like a like a, a big thought, or uh, I forget what it. I'm really not doing way my hair is justice, um, but using that theme and then dealing with um, with uh, relevant issues. Like our issue in theater was um, um, was uh, essentially being starved uh, of of free thought. Right, and so uh, we had to put that on our feet, and so we ended up doing some sort of like newscast where we were like, these people standing behind. This is Christopher reporting live from Brooklyn. The people behind me are standing in a line. They're starving. Why are you starving? And we had to interview those people, and they were saying, I'm starving because I, I can't think for myself. I'm, I'm starving for that. And it was so, seeing, seeing, um, seeing people put relevant issues that kids deal with on a daily basis. Some people talked about. Um, about politics, I'll just, I'll just say that. Some people talked about um, about racism. We were dealing with that and and just being heard and uh, and seeing those put on their uh, on their feet, not in a tableau and not in uh, not through scripted work, but through um, co community created art was really inspiring. And I left that room thinking, well, that's why I came to this conference, <laughs> for this one workshop. And I took a lot away from that room. Um, and how do you think that you're going to um, apply the takeaways to the work that you do? The work that we do here? In general, or here. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, every time I take, I, I participate in workshops like that, I just think that my worldview is broadened, and I just think that it will intrinsically be fed into my work. You know, two of the pillars that we work with, actually, I will focus on one. One of the pillars that we work with at the New Victory is community. And um, I always think, oh, that's, that's just sort of like a given. That, that'll just be in the work that we do. But no, I think it's important that we focus on community. And, um, and so I, I guess my answer would be that I'll focus more on community because when we do that, I think inclusion, access, um, diversity are just sort of included. They're just intrinsic in that word. That's great. Fun fact, mm -hmm. talking about how small the world is. So Huema works with Phil Alexander, right? Phil yes. Alexander gave me my first job in this world, in That's this arts education 
I was hired as an intern at Roundabout in their education department, which, new fun fact, their education department used to be where the Nunavik education department currently is. That's right. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. So as an intern, I worked in that office space. I basically sat where a jury set sits. Wait. <laughs> it's really it's weird. Like, it's, yeah, <laughs> this is what she said. I'm processing. But as an intern oh, and for so a different company. That's so <laughs> funny. That's yeah. super full circle. Wow. So you've been in that space for a long while. Yeah, I've been working on this box since 2002. Cool. <laughs> oh That's awesome. Think about, like, be nice to everyone because yeah. you don't know where you'll end up next. <laughs> true. It's true. And then Phil, so Phil hired me as a teach, as an intern the following semester, or that was over the spring, and then I went on study abroad uh, in grad school, came back and auditioned to be a teaching artist for Roundabout. I got hired there. Phil left, went to a different job, and then hired me as his associate there. So then I had these two, like, this talking about, like, standing on the gray line of admin versus TA. Mm -hmm. I was a TA, and I was both, but for different organizations. And that's ultimately how I got this job the first time. My first job that I got here. Yeah, that's crazy. You? Can I ask? Yes. What, what tipped the scales for you? For what? From from standing on that line between being a TA and ah, well, yeah. So I was graduating. I had every intention of being um, a teaching artist all the way and having this great part time job that went full time in the summer, um, an admin job. And um, Nuvik was looking for TAs, so I applied to be a teaching artist. Um, and then they were also looking for a full-time uh, associate position, and I was like, oh, "That's nice." And <laughs> <laughs> was really focused, and um, one of one of my friends uh, worked here, and so I was trying to talk to him about the, the TAs, and he's like, well, "What about this job?" And I was like, "Uh huh." Uh-huh. And then you know, really, but tell me, because what I didn't understand is that that was the first time that they were work- they were actually building a roster for teaching art of teaching artists. One, two, once I actually looked at the job description, there was like possible teaching in there. So for me, like I hadn't really been teaching much. I was just starting to get the hang of it. <laughs> and for the idea of being, you know, at a desk eight hours a day was not necessarily appealing because you also get to make your schedule and all those things. But once I learned that people who were the full time staff were going to be able to teach, at least I was considering it more more seriously, and obviously I applied, and obviously I got the job. But um, <laughs> but like it, it for me it was because there was teaching as part of the job that and the idea that this was a program that was about to you know launch for real and that I had an ability to actually contribute in some way um, and for a really cool company it yeah. was was the clincher definitely nice. yeah and. See where I am. Fifteen years later. <laughs> goals. Hashtag goals. Which is interesting because, well, if you think about it, I'm just thinking about the words administrator and teaching artists. Teaching artists are are also administrators. Mm-hmm. They have to do all that work on their own time without yeah. the structure of an office. That's like at true. least, I know I'm. You know, I'm coming here. Yeah. I sit down at my desk. I know what I need to do. Um, and I think that the, it takes a really disciplined super ridiculously talented person to be able to both be that um, that that freelance um, artist educator and administrator and and do it successfully each yeah. and every day but yeah the idea of being your own business yeah it's, I mean 
I still struggle with like thinking about it. Like, what? There were times like we know that we have some had some staff who have transitioned out of full time positions and and remained on our teaching arts ensemble. Um, that when I was a youngin, I had thoughts like that too. I didn't do it obviously, but like the idea of like dealing with my own schedule yeah. is hard now. It's hard now just because <laughs> I I do you know I teach, I adjunct. I also have to do this. You do a lot. I have a theater yeah. company. I do a lot. So I do a little bit of self-management, but it's always nice to know that I have an office space to be able to create the structures of my life in my yeah. daily <laughs> work-a-day world um, that I wonder if I could do that in a different context. Who knows? For me, the face-to-face conference, I my lens now tends to be on a, on a more policy-based level, um, which is not fun. It's pretty or to think a little bit more globally around like organizational structures and strategic planning and also not fun but I went to two uh, different sessions that actually made me think um, uh, creatively or think about how to be more creative about making sure that how I manage and how I'm working within the structures of an organization how I can either disrupt, ask questions, or, you know, and support in, in all of that. So it's in support of and in service of making sure that as an organization or as a department, we're functioning really positively. Um, and so that, that for me was really helpful to think about it like that and shift it. So the kinds of course uh, sessions that I went to were about uh, equity and inclusion in the workplace. And I went to another session that was about organizational structures and I heard words and terms that I had never heard before and had received some really interesting um, tools that I think could be quite useful to think about and analyzing how as a department we operate as, a, as an organization to help think about how do we communicate more effectively within the structures of an organization to again do the work that we want to do of, you know to bring high quality programming to schools, families, kids, teachers, yeah. etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of my my lens and also these conversations are really helpful to hear like what people are thinking and how they're um, yeah, making choices. The one thing I heard in our debrief uh, as a department was that it didn't feel like there was enough art making. Would you agree with this? Did you want more of that or or did you did you were you able to carve out your own art making experiences? Kind of carved out my own. Because yeah. you did the stop motion thing, right? I did right? the stop motion, and we had the dance and the oh, storytelling. Okay. So, yeah, um, I, that's kind of what I went for. Because um, I understand that, like, when you get to make things with your hands and you get to make it with other people, that's how you build community. So you kind of, you know, um, you're making friends because you have to, kind of thing. But that's what I like the most about it. So I found the. Uh, stop motion and I didn't know how to make stop motions before and I learned in that hour and a half session and I made it with three other people and we created you know our own little uh, like casting crew for our stop motion and we learned about all the technologies that we had to use to make it and we learned how to adapt it for students that are learning English or might have a hard time um, mm-hmm. communicating and telling stories so giving them other mediums to you know communicate and present themselves mm-hmm. and you know I learned something new in the process yeah. and, and I learned about an amazing organization through it because um, the Magic Box yes. Studios. That's been on my list for yes. you. 
thank you. <laughs> and I'm glad I got to run into mm-hmm. them because they do exactly what I can see myself doing in terms of video work and combining that with creative writing and combining that with spreading it out to the community. So it's amazing. That's so great. Kind of just probably, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't want to step on your toes, Alphonique, if you're going to speak, but I, I, I had that experience where there wasn't enough art making, mm. but, but I also loved that there was a lot of discussion happening around inclusion and diversity and accessibility, especially right now. Like in the time that we're living in, I feel like those conversations have to happen. And yeah, a lot of the rooms felt very heavy. Even the, even the key, and I know keynotes are supposed to feel this way. They're supposed to feel relevant and oh, strong. They're relevant, but they're also supposed to be inspiring. Yeah, yeah. and I, and yes, <laughs> yes. And I, I did feel, I felt inspired, but, but, but I just felt, <laughs> Um, but I, um, but I also, aside from feeling inspired, I felt no matter what, that we needed to have these conversations. Now I did feel like a lot of it was heavy and that could have been more joyful. You know, we focus a lot at the new Vic about, you know, bringing joy into a classroom or even bringing joy into a department meeting or even bringing joy into the office, which we do constantly. (laughs) Um, and I just feel like there was a lack of joy and such a focus Mm -hmm. on, we must drive home our point. And I'm like, well, you can drive home that point through joy. For instance, um, I'm going to, I'm going (laughs) to plug the new Vic again because, um, and I was in this session with Brandon. We, we took, uh, OMG, we're dancing, which was was led by um, the New Vic's very own Erica Reinch and uh, Siobhan Santini Palat. And that um, that was joy from beginning to end. Everyone was included from beginning to end, including have, having conversations about how to do how to how to do dance with people who don't feel like they are dancers or who don't like the word dance because it frightens them or who maybe are not able-bodied and then therefore cannot dance. How can we do that without Without uh, without all the movement that we're doing up on our feet, mm-hmm. right? And um, and it was just fascinating and very inspiring. And I had not actually taken that workshop with them before. You know, they'd never led that before and uh, anything like it. And I I just left that room thinking that I'm glad that was my last session yeah. because I needed to end on a on a wow. note of joy yeah. and not on a note of wow, yeah. <laughs> it was real deep, y'all. Right. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate it. It was deep that. in a different way, mm-hmm. right? Yes. It, it sunk in. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that back. Sorry, I got off no, my no, point. No, it's fine. But yeah, it, it, that's it, my it, job. That's my job. Yes, yes, you do it well. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, they, they 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 drove that home without without being so deep. Be, beat you over the head with it. Yes, and make you feel sad. Yeah, and we all got to create on our own terms, in yeah. our own pace, using our own voices. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up this conversation with two two things one are there questions that were popping for for you that maybe christopher or i could answer or try to answer i think a lot of the questions i've been having have been around how you balance being a ta like you're, you're teaching artist self with your artist self mm-hmm. and how you feed both of those mm-hmm. beings because i i feel like as a teaching artist, you have a job, and you have your job is to is to serve these young people that you are working with. But how do you make time and space for you to 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 
really work on the art form that helps you teach them? Yeah. Uh, well, I would say if, if the, big, the big thing is that you do want to be a practicing artist, and that can look a lot of different ways. That could be taking classes, or reading, or taking yourself on artist dates. Do you know what I mean by artist dates? <laughs> you should as an actor. And dates with other artists. No, dates <laughs> for you, like they're just you, and you're going to do something that's art-based. I that do that all the time. <laughs> exactly, so artist dates, self-dates, self-dates, sure. Um, uh, or it's making theater in whatever capacity that means to you. And yeah, definitely, you know, teaching, uh, a lot, I hear a lot of teaching artists, and I know I definitely experienced this when I was um, an associate and a manager, I joined an improv team. And um, then we were working to like actually doing performances for like two or three years. And I immediately, because I was working on improv as somebody who'd never studied improv before, um, I was immediately seeing a difference in my teaching, immediately. Like, I could think faster on my feet. I was able to do all this communication with my partner in a much stronger way, and I was really able to read a room to get to make some choices, and that's really impacted or then and continued to impact how I, how I teach, right? So the, the making really informs the teaching and vice versa, working with young people or whoever you're interested in working with, having to find ways to like break down the craft because depending on what kind of organization you're working for, you may not be working directly with like theater teachers, right. with students, yeah. right? Or theater, uh, or, or you know, artists themselves, professional artists. So the idea of being able to find ways to break down these sort of bigger, more headier ways of working into a very practical, bite-sized, step-by-step um, experience for, for people, um, for whatever the goal might be, um, helps to sort of rethink about how am I creating my own work. So, and then all that other stuff, the reading the room, the, you know, being able to um, create one-on-one connections and hold a whole, uh, a whole group space, you know, all those things definitely fold back into or inform your making. So that's, that's one type of violence. And then there's sort of just like money, like you need to live, right? Yeah. So the ideal is that you're, you're, whatever it takes to make sure that you have a roof over your head and food in your mouth and clothes on your body, all those things, whatever the lifestyle that you've grown accustomed, <laughs> that it can, it can fluctuate, right? There are times when teaching artists are taking a lot of teaching gigs because the making is not necessarily happening, or we're oh, I'm about to go on tour now, and, I'm, right. and now I'm full on artist, and I don't really have time because I'm doing that art thing to right. be able to teach. So it'll fluctuate from year to year. It'll fluctuate within the year. Um, a lot of people talk about how summers tend to be a, a, a there's less work available. So. Um, there's a lot of camps involved <laughs> uh, or you're going that maybe that's a time when people write and just like they yeah. figure out how to you know deal with their finances so that they can spend a summer not working like Jason Vance for example I think he goes to Mexico and he writes for the summer Wow! like what yeah so so it's it's really about like what what is it that you want to do and how to do and then you sort of figure out and you network like crazy and, <laughs> um, and you're nice to everybody because you yeah. just never know. Just never um, know. And the other, the other deep thing that I talk about, because I teach a course on, on this at um, NYU, um, is I talk about the core values. So you really need to think about what are all the things that you believe as an artist and how does that translate 
into being a, a, the type of teaching artist that you're wanting to do and that will inform your teaching style and all of that stuff, but it will also help you to find the right kinds of organizations that will be a good fit for you. Thank you. <laughs> you have so much wisdom. Thanks. I need to talk to you more. <laughs> this is a full circle moment for me because her, her, Courtney's sitting here talking about core values. I took Courtney's class at NYU. And wow. Brandon, when he first started, I told him, I said, the first thing I want you to do is make a list of your core values and how, how you see, actually not when you first started, when he first started to say, oh, I like what, what the word teaching artist is. This is ringing a bell for me. And I said, great. You want to do that? That's fantastic. Make a list of your core values. How do you see yourself as an artist? How do you see yourself as an educator, as a person? How do all those things um, come together? So it's just, this is, this is just beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> full Sorry, I'm going to move the spotlight back. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy. And then you also have 55 teaching artists who can be a, a mentor as well. Mm -hmm. People will have all these conversations with you happily, definitely. How about you, Brandon? What is a big, big burning question that came out of this for you? Um, for me, it would be, I feel like I stuck to a lot of things that I'm comfortable with in terms of uh, choosing what... I wanted to go to in terms of sessions, in terms of working as an artist. Like I've gotten really good at knowing what I'm good at, and then like making that, you know, build. Mm -hmm. But recently, now that I'm working with the Queens Theater and helping young students in middle school, you know, devise plays, mm -hmm. I don't have a strong theater background. Mm -hmm. So being a teaching artist and using that word artist, learning, you know, new arts and trying to really step into that light of, you know, what does it mean to do improv? Because I I've never really done improv. Mm -hmm. That's not me, but you know, being honest and open and accepting and transparent with the students and saying, I'm willing to try, you're willing to try too. Mm. And, you know, talking to them like they're adults, like they're not adults, but, you know, grown little respecting people, them. respecting them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, creating that common space between us yeah. so that way we can, you know, grow together. But for me, it's really, you know, um, stepping into this new light of being a theater artist mm -hmm. because I'm a uh, usually a media artist, I'm mm -hmm. cameras and you know writings. So being able to you know say let's put on a play, let's actually write a play and devise a play, and now we have like lights and you know sets and things that we have to create. You know learning all this vocabulary and then teaching it to them so that way they understand. That's it's been new for me. It's been a little you know hard for me, but it's not. And you have a you have a partner, so you're not out there all alone, right? I have a teacher's assistant, oh. not necessarily a partner. So not somebody who's you know, um, full versed in theater, but she was my partner. Really good because you're a theater artist. <laughs> but we'd be a great team. But yeah. <laughs> so eventually I will get a musical director who will help, you know, shape and guide the musical part to it. But as far as the technical theater elements to it, that's things that I'm learning to remember and learning to learn again. So. Yeah. Lots of research. So much. So, so much of it. Yeah, I mean, that is, that's another part of it, isn't it? Like, how much research you have to do for your job. You look like you had a thought. Oh, no. Well, no, I, j I love that question. Like, oh. yes, that research is a lot of fun. Um, no, my thought, my, my takeaway from, from this conference. Oh, yes. At least. Thanks. Oh. <laughs> I thought that's where you were directing <laughs> me to go. No, Courtney's also, she's a director. <laughs> um, 
You know, at least in the sessions that I was in, I can't speak for the entire conference, I couldn't take all the sessions, but in the rooms that I was in, the word diversity, the word inclusion, the word accessibility, never once circled around to the LGBTQIA community. And um, being um, a gay person, I, I found it difficult to both say, but what about me? And I must also make space. And so my big takeaway, my, my question is, how do we also make space for queer people yeah. to have a voice? Um, yeah, because diversity is, is, is a very big word, and it means a lot of things, and it, it includes a lot of people, uh, or at least it should, it must. And so, um, yeah. Can I make a point um, yes. on inclusion of queer people in like art spaces? Um, when we were taking Erica and Siobhan's class, towards the end we had space for reflection, and there was a trans woman who spoke about her experience in terms of being able to create dance, and her growing up and being a trans woman, she was very accustomed to having to do things like on her own, by herself, um, and not really accepting too much help from other people. So being able to work in that ensemble space allowed her the ability to have her own personal expression, but also work alongside people. And so I feel like the inclusion of queer people in spaces really is important. And understanding that extra voice of what it means to be disenfranchised, but also, you know, given that little space to, you know, have be part of the conversation, but also not be fully integrated into the conversation because there are still situations and instances where queer people are left out. So I do feel like that's really important. So is it is it? Let me see if I understand what you're saying. Are the nature of the work that just to stick with the, the the experience of the workshop, the nature of the work was opening space for people without it saying without them having to explicitly say I've opened up this space for you right it's it's more about like here's an invitation for all the people in this room to be able to engage here's the way that you can engage here are multiple ways that you can engage and from that experience this this person was able to sort of say and reflect to their own experiences over the course of their life Mm -hmm. right And, and make some connections right yeah that workshop also um we're talking about omg OMG for dancing dancing. yeah um that workshop emphasized expression um from from within Mm -hmm. right so no matter what you were free to express Mm -hmm. and then also um allowed space and time for you to either dance or not dance depending on what part of the your choice it was your choice right so and actually, you were participating by making those choices. Correct. <laughs> correct. Correct. That's cool. But you're also but you're doing it on your own time and through your own self-expression. And so, without even talking about it heavy-handedly, uh, it was said that you could express yourself and do it on your own time. You know, and that for me that says you know I I know both of those curriculums because I signed off on both of them obviously, and on one of them I was a part of the team, mm-hmm. um, and so. It says to me, as we're going into a new season of developing more content, how can we continue to think about how uh, the work that we create does that to allow for self-expression and give structure for that self-expression, but allow for the choice making to happen to be, uh, in our, in this case, student-centered 
or participant-centered. Mm-hmm. And that we as facilitators are exactly that. We're facilitating time and space, but not dictating. Yeah. Period, full stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's very interesting and a great huge takeaway that we gave ourselves. <laughs> but you know, it's to talk it out. To me, that's fine. I mean, yeah. Um, okay, so the last thing I want to just—I I, usually I ask this question, but we—we're this is our, We've already been talking for like an hour, oh. almost an hour. Yeah, we have a lot to share. We do, and I, I didn't. I know on a sh- short shrift, um, but often I ask people about. Um, ask like, people a couple different kinds of questions. I would like to know, because you guys are New Yorkers. Yeah. Um, and how long have you lived here? More than seven years? Uh, oh, yes, Let's I've lived here for 16 years. years. Look yeah. at you. You are a New Can you, in like two sentences or less, <laughs> can you um, tell us just how were, how were arts in any capacity uh, around or surrounding you as a kid? Yeah. Another way I would ask this is how are arts present in your in your childhood? Yeah. So, growing up in New York, there were a lot of opportunities to interact with the arts, even if my family say didn't have those avenues for me. Um, but my first interaction was in middle school, and they had a drama program there. And from there, like every summer, when I had to decide what to do with myself. I always chose like some sort of theater program. So there were two Wingspan and Summer Arts Institute that I went to and, and for the first time got to be part of these like really incredible productions and kind of see some of the back end. Um, and then from there, that's pretty much what sparked my interest and I ended up going to a performing arts school. So a lot of my interaction with the arts was often through theater. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, like at home, I listened to a lot of music. There was a, a lot of reggae and a lot of jazz, and, and that inspired my, my love for writing and spoken word and poetry, really like that, that rhythm and, and those beats. So that was most of my, my interaction. I think being in New York helped because there were a lot of opportunities that, that also didn't cost money. Yeah. And that's what was really incredible. <laughs> Free arts. So Summer, Summer Arts yeah. Institute, actually, um, their dance, uh, or students who take the dance mm-hmm. course, they come to Victory Dance. What? Yeah, they've that's been awesome. since we started. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, there was unfortunately no Victory Dance when I, <laughs> when I was at SAI. And I don't think I... I even knew about uh, the new victory yet, because yeah, I was in sense, yeah. Because I, mean, I was in high your school. school was yeah. What school again? Frank Sinatra. Yeah, we're not a part. Of it. So it's interesting yeah. because with the new victory, for some reason, we're not really we don't really engage that much with theater or arts, special like the performing arts schools, um, yeah. mainly because they're I don't know I don't know what they, the, <laughs> the deal is, but you know we had it's funny because. And Jiri went to PPIS. Really? Um, Janice went to LaGuardia. Yeah. That's crazy. I should tell her that I'm like, I've yeah. been at her high school. You should. The last few weeks. You totally should. Yeah. Um, and then I was just thinking about like, what, what were some of the, what was art 
experiences or what were our experiences like in the home itself or mm. with your family yeah like for example with me there was always music playing yeah um yeah. uh it was mostly folk music right. or Johnny Mathis uh, and the okay. Bee Gees. <laughs> um, but there was always music playing. Always. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, it was interesting because my mom was not so much into music mm. and my dad loves music. Mm. Um, and so he played, uh, he played like a lot of reggae, a lot of R&B, a lot of jazz. Mm. And I, I mean, I would write these poems that were usually about Jamaica because I hadn't been there in so long mm -hmm. but what's crazy is a lot of my childhood memories are like from Jamaica even though I mean I left there when I was like five mm -hmm. um, and so I would like read my read my poetry and they were like the best critics but also the most important <laughs> and like I would write short stories and my mom would take them and and like bring them to work and like ask people to edit them for me and like she was she she was not into music but she was into that she was just she was pretty she was impressed um so she was proud. yeah she was proud she was proud of me thank you mom yeah. how about you brandon um for me it was a little bit of the opposite from yours alphanique um i was a writer when i was a kid as well but that was one of the few things that weren't heavily encouraged whenever i would um like showcase my writing to my parents, they were like, this is great. But with Caribbean parents, they're like, it can be better. How can we work this out? How can we, you know, elongate this? But my mom, she's a paraprofessional. She works in a nursery. So um, she's always tried to expose my younger brother and I to like the arts. It wasn't necessarily theater, but we were always in like a summer program or a Saturday program where we played like an instrument or we did some kind of like fighting skill or like so all the way up until middle school, um, when I went to performing arts middle school and I got really heavy into um, like dance and playing instruments and not necessarily theater still, but chorus and yeah. just being on stage, um, that was when I really found myself, just being on stage with like people that I enjoy and creating communities. And then I left and I went to high school and then that's when I like lost all of the art elements that were in my life. There wasn't a heavy theater program I started to learn accounting, and I was just like, none of this is for me. I don't like numbers like that. And so then I found the new victory, and that's when I was reintegrated back into all of the things that I loved about you know, being a kid and just being able to not necessarily see shows, but get to see people that were doing shows or get to um, just experience things that not too many people got to experience and that way I could experience it and share it with them. So. Um, the arts were very present when I was a kid. My mother took me to the theater a lot. She took me to the Derby Dinner Playhouse, which um, had a hydraulic stage that would come down and all the actors were all, were just, they came out of the ceiling and then a show happened and it was magical. Um, and she took me to all the touring shows. And then I was in chorus and I took piano lessons for years. And, um, but in terms of like being able to access the arts even more um, movies like Annie with Carol Burnett. Carol Burnett was the person that I think um, taught me what comedy was, what really good comedy was. Um, and then the movie The Muppets Take Manhattan was the movie I believe that told me as a five-year-old kid that I needed to move to New York City when I got when I when I when I grew up. And so I did. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I did. And so I did. But the arts, you know, but whether they be movie musicals or live musicals or plays, um, and then chorus and piano lessons, it was they were all around. I was really fortunate. Mm-hmm. Glad I had that in my life. Um, when I was growing up, uh, my 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 mom and my dad sang a lot in choruses. My dad was a singer in church, a cantor, um, played guitar, and there was just always music. Always, always music. Playing very much like folk music, some calypso music. Mostly it was pop stuff and like the Bee Gees. <laughs> That's what I remember in Chicago. Um, and then we lived in Long Island, so we would come into the city a lot and see shows. And um, at five years old, I was in a show, and I had one line, and I really, <laughs> I really worked on that line forever. Um, so that was my first foray into. Acting, and then in school, we, you know, we had chorus, we had dance, and we had um, theater, uh, but mostly it was chorus and playing instruments. I played the, the violin for a few years, and um, uh, yeah, I liked singing, so I, I was in chorus in high school, and then only did one play, actually, in high school, and then I went to college, but I was very theatrical. I would put on shows in my backyard, and charge kids a nickel. <laughs> Yes, there was drinks and snacks and it was, like, it was a place in the theater in, in yeah, the backyard. I think we even had like I I would venture to say though I can't remember that there was probably a theater title, like a title of the yeah. backyard backyard players or something, you know, something like that. Marquee. Oh yeah. We had this huge backyard so we were able to like cut it up to be like a stage. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. And seated, you know, lawn chairs. I was not. I was not in the. We, our backstage was my back porch that had that had all screens. So you had a full wow. venue. <laughs> yeah. All right. Be a table with you know, get your drink, get your shot. <laughs> <laughs> relax and we'll play on a show. Okay, if you ever want to mount this idea, yes. we'll be there. <laughs> um, and my parents just, yeah, yeah they just very much encourage it. It's funny though because I was very like at home I was a wild and at school I was really quiet. Super quiet. Okay. Uh, well our time up is up at this point. We're way over. Mm-hmm. Um, well thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you so thank you. much. I, I hope that these conversations continue. Um, time and that they uh, and that you're able to go to more conferences which I think you are um, and I'd love to hear more about your experiences as you're unfolding and, and um, unfolding emerging yes but thanks again for your time thank you for listening to episode 8 act 2 of teaching artistry with Courtney J. Body face to face past present and future Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the creative content manager. John Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org. Follow us on Twitter at TA underscore artistry. Like our page on Facebook. Listen to us on SoundCloud. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. And be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Up and it needs people like you and me. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now. 
Let's start it up now.